welcome to part one of our conversation with Carl Nichols from Relevant Church. We think you're going to really love this today. And uh, so listen up and let's see what we will learn together. Welcome to the Church Explained podcast, a conversation to grow your leadership and build your church. We've got a brilliant podcast lined up for us today. We've got a brilliant guest, a guy called Carl Nichols, all the way from America. That's for us, really, in the UK or yep. Europe. Yep. Maybe in America, it's not so far away. No. Hey, but great to have you here with us, Carl. Thank you so much, Dave. I appreciate you guys inviting me. Um, and uh, well, it's amazing what we can do with technology these days. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, amazing. Let's find out a little bit about you then this afternoon. Yeah, so we, uh, as we always do, we get called to write a little bio, and it uh, was a short bio compared to some of the other ones that we've had. So uh, we like that, get though. ready, get ready. Uh, Carl has been married to his wife, Julie, for 23 years. He's pastor of a relevant church just south of Atlanta, uh, which he started in 2010 with five people, and now it's around 3,000 people regularly who attend that. So Carl, as Dave said, it's so great to have you on the Church Explained podcast. Thank you so much, Nathan. Wonderful. Yeah, so it's great. We're going to find out a little bit more about you, Carla, as we go through. And obviously, we'll pick up on some of the themes, I guess, you've been working through in your life and in your church. Uh, we want to talk about leadership and crisis and how we deal with that. So we'll pick that up as we go through as well. But before we get there, come on, tell us a little bit about your your faith story or your uh, ministry story. We'd love just to find out a little bit about that as we kick off. Absolutely. So I actually grew up in a, in a small Methodist church with my grandmother. Um, my parents didn't go to church. And I went to church with her until I was about 11 years old and slept under the pew every Sunday I went to Sunday school, went to vacation Bible school, I learned some of the stories of the Bible, but had really no, no understanding of application to my life and what it would require of me. And then 11 years old, I had an encounter with Jesus. Um, and when well, my mom went back to a church that she had been a part of when she was younger, my family didn't really have a strong faith at all. And so when we went back to that church, uh, just for a revival service, believe it or not, um, had a, a moment with Jesus and it changed my life forever. So 17 years old, after wrestling with some things, I answered a call to ministry. Um, I grew up here in South Atlanta, um, about 45 minutes from where the church is located now. And and then went to ministry, went through a crisis in 05 with Hurricane Katrina on the Gulf Coast of, of America um, near near Mississippi, Louisiana area. I uh, learned a lot in that season. And through that, God birthed a, a passion for families. What happened is we had a very large youth ministry. And in that youth ministry, after the hurricane, uh, we went, we lost about 300 students. Um, our, our student ministry went from 350-ish down to about 40 kids. And it rocked me. I lost a little bit of my identity in that process. Went through um, a faith crisis. Uh, not really a faith crisis. I would say an identity crisis. Uh, stress, anxiety. Obviously, the whole coast had been obliterated. And so ministry looked different. And so I began to wrestle with what, why God. And so through that birth, this idea that if you're going to reach kids, you got to reach the fathers. So that's been the, where the whole thing with Relevant Church started, the, the dream behind everything that we do here. And then, of course, my wife has been with us. This We've been a part of this thing together the whole time. We got married in uh, 2000s, childhood sweethearts. I shouldn't say childhood, high school sweethearts. Um, funny thing <laughs> is her sister, her sister was my eighth grade teacher, which is wild. And uh, we developed a two-year friendship out of that. Uh, we're in ministry, I'm in student ministry together. And then, you know, the rest is history. So got two boys, 15-year-old, 11-year-old. And uh, now, man, we're just, I guess, living our best life. Ministry is not always easy, but we're in a good season. 
We love to uh, ask the question, Carl. What do you do for fun? Yeah, that's that's fun. Um, I think uh, I used to love to play golf, but I've got some injuries in my back. I've had too many surgeries to count, and so I've gotten to that uh, pickleball stage. I think now has been has been what we're doing. I, I know pickleball is going crazy worldwide, but now it's one of those games that no matter how athletic you are, you can go out there and have a little fun. So it, it allows our whole family to play, nieces, nephews, cousins, all that. So that's that's really what we're doing more for fun now. And, of course, my boys play travel basketball, and I enjoy being part of that with them. Awesome. Wow. Have yeah. you heard of that before? Yeah, pickleball. It's uh, it's come to the UK, and uh, it's on the rise. Uh, I know uh, I know a few people who uh, who play it. I've never partaken partaked myself in no, playing, no, I, but um, I feel I feel like heard of it. I haven't heard of it before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean, so, so, so it's like a smaller version of tennis. Ah, is how okay. I would. If you just take it. tennis and table tennis and and find yeah. the happy medium, that's about what it is. Wow. Yeah, it's so like my oldest and I, size. <laughs> that's right. My oldest and I play against each other to get you know more intense exercise, but then the whole family comes out and you can play doubles, which is obviously what most people play. Mm-hmm. And that's that's just kind of hanging out, enjoying, taking out the stresses of life. It's fun. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Hey, well, as we said, great to find out about more mm-hmm. about you, Carl. And uh, you, you've touched a little bit there already about some of your uh, experience in the sense of dealing with crisis. I wonder if we could just dig into that a little bit further for our listeners because leaders go through crises mm-hmm. many different times and different ways in their lives. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if you could just share your experience, maybe some of the stuff you've gone through that you think would help the listeners who are here connecting in with us? Absolutely. I think in the first crisis I think I went through was a crisis of faith when I was 17 years old. My mom had cancer and kind of rocked me in that season. Um, I remember one statement she made that has impacted me for years um, in, in seasons of crisis. I sat by her bed. Uh, the doctors had basically said, we got one more test to run. We, we're pretty certain if this test is going to come back positive, and if it does, we're just going to send you home to die. So that was kind of a crisis of faith for me. I sat by her bed, you know, bawling my eyes out, and she just told me, she said, if something happens to me, just remember God is still good. And in that season, I think it gave me a little bit of hope. So fast forward now in ministry, I know this is a leadership podcast. And so in ministry, I faced, I guess, two crises that one was recently, we all kind of went through this whole COVID pandemic uh, conversation and what that looked like. But in 05, the Hurricane Katrina conversation, my house was a mile off the beach. Our church was a mile off the beach. 60,000 homes were destroyed in our community. So that was a crisis that taught me a lot. But the first crisis in 05 with Hurricane, I did not handle that nearly as well. I was 25 years old, 26 years old. This one, I feel like hindsight being 2020, um, looking back, learning, growing, maturing, man, I learned a lot in COVID because I allowed God to show me things versus just trying to do things, just trying to solve problems. And uh, so that's really, I think there's, I've been traveling, coaching pastors and coaching leaders here in the States for a while. And really in the last two years, I've taught taught this particular conversation about, you know, six things I learned in COVID um, that, that related to crisis. Um, and it seems to be resonating with a lot of people. So that's, uh, that's the two major crises that I've, that I've been through and, and definitely responded differently to both of those. Mm. Yeah. Hey, well, wh- why, why don't we dig into that though? What, what, what are those six things? Cause you're sort of leaving us on the, on the edge on there. The edge, yeah. So what are oh, yeah. those six I mean, things I'm, that you, I'm following your people. lead. I don't know how fast you want to go. I, I'll run through them as quickly as possible. <laughs> and then I tell you what, as we, yeah, as we run high. through them, just stop me along the way. We can unpack any of them. How's that? I think um, the biggest one that I, I probably learned was that 
uh, crisis, when you're talking about church leadership, especially crisis magnifies dysfunction. And um, one of the things that I realized here, uh, obviously we'll stay with COVID because I think everybody can relate, is that um, I've said this before, mold grows faster in the dark. Uh, and so you don't see it till you turn the light on and then you realize, oh, there's the light, there's the mold. And so big problems are small problems that, that we didn't have the courage to address or we just you know put, shoved under the rug. And so I think when COVID hit, especially here in the States, one of the biggest struggles was people were very much focused um, on, you know, filling buildings. Well, that poses a problem when you can't open your facility. And then we realized that the discipleship component of churches in America or the systems component or the true connection that people had was really dysfunctional. It was just propped up. It was a house of cards. And I think that not only was a cultural problem, I mean, a church problem, but in the staffs in larger churches in America, you also found that, uh, who who really was there? Was there was there problems in that? Was there cultural problems in the staff? Were there issues that you know existed that you didn't know? Because now all of a sudden you're working from home. You're trying to figure out how to do ministry without the everyday rhythms that you're used to. And so I think that's been the biggest thing for me is that the dysfunction in the church. COVID just shed a, a real big light on it, and I don't think that's unique to COVID. I think that can be applied to you know uh, sports. It can be applied to family. It can be applied to or any organization um, when it comes to. That if there's if there's a dysfunction, when a crisis comes, something's going to break or something's going to at least be more evident in the process. So that's the first one. I think that's the biggest one that I learned. Yeah. Um, you, I was, I was go just going to ask Carl um, just on that. Um, so so let's say uh, that dysfunction comes about. How how did you uh, how did you deal with that? Because I think uh, a lot of churches, even in the midst of a crisis might just try and sweep that under the rug again or even put it in the dark again. Uh, how did you, you know, kind of, or how do you coach people to begin to deal with those the dysfunctions that come about because of the crisis? I think that's that's a great question. So when we just take the, the crisis that we've been through the last, you know, our previous two and a half years, I think everybody thought in America and states would believe, okay, church will shut down for three or four weeks and then we'll just go back to doing what we're doing. And everybody kept hanging on to, let's get back to, let's get back to. Well, all you're getting back to is what was dysfunctional before. So the leaders that took a real hard inward look and said, okay, what? let's diagnose some problems, let's diagnose some issues and let's start building something that's sustainable beyond you know, a building or beyond any crisis for that matter. How, how can we make sure that the mission really goes back to mission? Our mission is fulfilled in any crisis. And so we look at our values, we look at our mission, we look at our, our systems and our strategies, all of those things matter. I would say prior prior to a, a crisis or before crisis strikes, you and I all know, I think we know, um, we don't always know what we don't know. I say that to people all the time, but the th internally, intuitively, we know where our organization is weaker or where we're weaker, whether we want to face that or not. Yeah. And so yeah. we knew that our discipleship, we were working on some discipleship conversations in, here at Relevant Church in South Atlanta. Prior to COVID, we had we had all these things um, ready to go uh, for discipleship, and we were getting ready to launch some things. And the problem was COVID hit before we could get those things off the ground. So we already knew they were weak. Um, and so you have to recognize those things. You have to see those things before the crisis, because if you don't, obviously it's going to break. Now, the good news is when the crisis hit, we already were aware. So the diagnosing of the issue, saying what's wrong, why are people you know, not coming back to church, so to speak? Why are people seemingly disconnected? Why is our online attendance every week what we thought was going to stay up? Just, I, mean, I 
think we believed the myth that it was going to stay. Why is it dropping? Why are people feeling less and less connected? So all of those we knew the root problem was there was not deep-rooted connection and discipleship going on in our church. So that was a dysfunction for us. On a staffing side of things, I think I'm, I'm a pretty nice guy. Um, people might perceive me as more of a dominant personality, but when it comes to my staff, I really care about my staff. I care about the people on our team. And I think what happened was some of the things that probably should have been addressed prior to you know a crisis became more and more evident, when, especially when their identity or their ministry, or maybe their identity was lack, you know, tied up in their ministry, and now they've lost their ministry, and they don't know what to do, and now all their emotions are coming out. And so there were some staffing components, not a ton. In, in the States, there's a, there's a term called the Great Resignation, um, and I don't know if that's something that you guys have heard there, but about a year after COVID struck, all the, especially people who were already on the, 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 tink, you know, the tinkering on burnout, man, just started resigning, 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 Look, always looking for greener grass. Now the new term um, in, in the States is there's a great regret. So I think those that moved on, prob, you know, are those that were struggling prior to the crisis. As a leader, we've got to deal with that when things are good, because when they're bad, obviously things crumble a, a lot more. So that's probably, I guess, I don't know if that makes a ton of sense. I'm trying to give you some snapshot in our organization, but yeah. you have to deal with problems when they're small. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I, th- I think that's the key, really. Mm. Rather yeah. than ignoring the issues, I think the crisis just brings the stuff to the surface. It's already yep. there, and it's dealing with the stuff. I guess sure. learning the learning this idea, dealing with the stuff early, yeah, rather mm-hmm. than trying to avoid it. That's the challenge. Mm-hmm. A lot of leaders think, yeah. "Well, I'll deal with that issue at this point," but actually, sometimes you've got to deal with it back then, mm. so it doesn't Absolutely. become a bigger issue, as you're saying. Yeah, that's so good. What, what are the other five things? Then we've done one. What's yep. the other five things you've uh, so I think I think they all kind of fall to some degree underneath that that one, and so they, they're yeah. all a subset of those, that one. So here's here's the one that I would say is next. You you have to know your unique unique identity as an organization and as a leader, because what happens is you start comparing, um, and you realize that all of a sudden I don't know who I am. I was tied up in my ministry or my platform or my ability or whatever it is, and so you don't know who you are as an organization. And therefore, you start trying to copy everything else everybody else is doing. And so for, for me, I'm, I'm one that have said, to, said to, to my friends, to people I coach, stop copying and pasting from other churches or other organizations. It doesn't mean we can't learn from them, but who are you? What is your unique identity? That's such a huge component of what we do, because if we don't know who we are, what happened with us during, during the last crisis with with, with people not being in church and COVID and the various things, here's one of the things that happened with us is there was no manual to copy because nobody knew what they were doing. And so if you don't know your unique identity, you haven't led your organization to a place where you know how to, to, to diagnose and see who you are and fulfill the mission that God has given you. Now, all of a sudden, you don't know what to do if all you've done is copy and paste everybody else's stuff. So you got to know who you are and what God's called you to do. And then one of my staff said this, this, this rocked me during COVID, a little bit of history here. We had a new building. Um, our church was exploding at the, the seven weeks leading up to, to our shutdown. Our church grew by 700 people and it was exploding. We were turning people away from our main two middle services on Sunday. We had launched a fifth service and we had a seat, a 400 seat auditorium. We had as many as 2,200 people on campus at, at you know, one time or on a Sunday um, in a 400 seat auditorium over those five services. So, Things are exploding. We have a new building, 1100 seat auditorium coming out of the ground. We're only, you know, going on 10 years old when this happens. And 
uh, we're learning. We don't we don't have the best live streaming. We're on low budget cameras, low budget filming. We're going into a nicer auditorium. We're putting all the but we don't put all the money into that. But we don't have the knowledge, the know how, the wisdom to know how to even operate all this new equipment. The building is being basically shelled in when when everything shuts down. And so we had a huge learning curve. And in that, I don't know about you guys, everybody goes online and starts watching. And the funny joke around here was everybody had terrible online sound mixes. So the band sounded horrendous, no matter who you listened to. And everybody was trying. And even the guys who didn't have anything were trying very hard to produce something. And it was really bad. And so the worship leader at the time, he heard this quote and he shared it with us because it's easy to look at what everybody else is doing, especially on a larger scale and start comparing because you don't know who you are. And he made this quote that changed, changed my life, really. He said, success is not measured by comparison, but rather by progress. And that really like that. impacted me because now what we're saying is, okay, rather than trying to be somebody else or look at somebody else, are we better this week than we were yeah, last like week? And so, man, that's changed our whole perspective of, of, of leading. So that's number two. Any thoughts, questions there? If not, I'll just keep going, bud. No, I said, I, I, keep going. Let's yeah, do keep it. Going. It's so gold. here's the third one. Um, clarity is more, more important than certainty. I didn't know what I was doing at times, but I had to even, even if I didn't know what I was doing, I had to let our people know that I didn't know what I was doing rather than making something yeah. up. I think, I think the problem is, is we tend to want to have all the answers. And sometimes the answer is, I don't know. It's real simple. And so uh, there's a book I'll recommend at the end. It's just, I'll tell you a little bit more about it, but it's called Procrastinate on Purpose. There were decisions that we just waited to make because we didn't have clarity. And then the fourth one was this culture is the top leadership priority. So in crisis, we can go fix all of these issues or try to diagnose all these, but if the, the, the systems may be wrong, the strategies may be wrong, all that stuff is, mm. is important. But if the culture is wrong, it doesn't matter what you do. And so I think um, yeah. we'll talk more about culture in a few moments, but there's, there's some things there that I think that can help us, you know, really sort of culture can help you survive a lot. Um, the fifth one is this slowing down to speed up uh, can be very valuable. Um, we have a statement that we've added to our staff language here and it's uh, we're playing the long game. Um, the long game is something that's sustainable. And I, I have a little dog. This is a kind of a funny story to help us understand. I have a little dog. That's a beagle that was given to us and uh, she loves to eat. And she, she will eat at her normal time, and then there's something that triggers her later, and she wants to eat again later. And so she will, um, she'll come begging for food. And so what, we had another dog that we were house-sitting for about six months while my sister-in-law built their house. And so she would eat her food and the other dog's food. And she started gaining weight. She would scarf it down. It was like a race who could get to the food first. Well, in the meantime, I realized this dog's going to die of being overweight. And so we had to get her a slow feeder bowl. And that slow feeder bowl, is, it's harder for her to eat out of, but it makes her healthier. It slows her down so she's healthier long term. And I thought to myself, so many times we try to do things so quickly that it's, it's really unhealthy. Uh, it might be large. It might look large. It might look sustainable, but behind the scenes, it's falling apart. And so we say, look, we're playing the long game here. We're building something that'll last. And that's not my personality. That's not the way I'm wired. I'm, I want it all and I want it now. And so that's, that's the, the hard one. And then here's the last one. Um, crisis creates an opportunity for change. Um, this one, I think, so I'll just give you an example. When, when our church shut down, um, we had one building that sat 400 people. We were, you know, as many as 2,200 people on campus. We had our kids wing there. We were building a second building. That one building had one parking lot, 
one entrance from the main highway, one entrance to the building. That was it. The main entrance that people came in. So when people came to church on Sunday, they, they came in, everybody came in the same entrance. Everybody parked in the same parking spot. Everybody entered the same building. When they came back, the, the building was finished. I was speaking to cameras for a month before we reopened the building. And when they came back, there's four parking lots, two entrances from two separate roads, and three entrances to the building. Well, I remember having to train people anytime there were changes that were happening when, okay, next Sunday, things are going to look like this. And all the whys and the what's and the questions. Well, we didn't have any of that. People were just happy to be back. People were happy to say, tell us what to do. We'll do whatever. We're just happy to be together. And I think sometimes I heard Rick Warren say this years ago, growth brings change. Change brings loss. Loss brings pain. Pain brings grief. And so anytime we're growing and we make changes, there's this loss, pain, and grief cycle. Well, in the middle of crisis, people are just saying, help me, show me, give me direction, give me wisdom. And so I, I personally believe that you can make change faster in crisis than you can any other time. I can give you two examples. One is a, a friend of mine who pastors a church. It's more traditional. It's about 20 minutes from, from where I'm at right now. Uh, they, they were a little more old school and choir, very wealthy church. When, when they went online, they were like, uh, our online is not very good. We have a choir. It's not, it's not the way they really wanted to do church, but they were slowly changing. Not that there's anything wrong with a choir. We still bring back a choir at times for fun. But they were slowly changing, but it was taking so long to move the needle. Well, when they went online, they hired a production company to come in and do all their production stuff live and made it incredible. When, and, of course, they were in a little more rural area than, area than us. They opened up earlier. And, man, they improved so many things, changed so many things. It was like a different church when they opened the doors. Chick-fil-A in the States is, uh, we call it Christian chicken because they're closed on Sundays. Uh, it's, yeah. you know, it's a worldwide phenomenon. Chick-fil-A during COVID tore down so many of their buildings and rebuilt them for a new way of doing customer service. And they would say, by September 1, you've got to have your building done. And I can think of the 20 Chick-fil-A's within driving distance of here, within 45 minutes of here. I bet... I bet a dozen of them tore down their entire buildings, redid everything during the crisis, and then opened back up and didn't just said, okay, let's go. So I think crisis is an incredible time for change. Oftentimes, though, we try to go back and do all the old things, or we get lost in the shuffle rather than saying what opportunities are ahead of us. So that's it. Yeah, I like that. I like that. I think think some of the things you've mentioned there, Mm. Carl, there's some real positives when we hit crisis, Mm -hmm. and there's some real challenges. Absolutely. And, uh, I guess we're going to get a bit of both in there, aren't we? Yeah. You know, so it brings the stuff to the surface, mm. uh, stuff maybe we've been avoiding, but also brings opportunity, Absolutely. which is a, a brilliant, brilliant way to think of crisis as well. Because because mm. we don't often think of crisis that way. We often think of just the negatives, don't we? Yeah. Around the crisis. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, thanks for sharing yeah. those six things. And we'll stick those in the show notes. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. So the ways that you, you've given us, the ways to connect with you are uh, through website, www.thegoodlife.cc. Also, uh, you can uh, follow Carl Nichols, uh, all one word on Instagram, and also on Facebook uh, is Nichols Carl, uh, just after facebook.com. Um, but Carl, it's been amazing to have you on the Church yeah, yeah. Explained podcast, and uh, thanks so much for your time. No, that's great. That Good Life podcast that goodlife.cc is the podcast that we do here. And so you can, I I just link that rather than putting all the platforms. And so if you want more content, more conversations around just how to find the good life in Christ, man, that's where you can find it. So thank you all for having me. It's been a joy.
It's been a pleasure to have Amazing. you with us. And yeah. a big shout out to all that you're doing with the Church There Relevant Church and all the guys there, yeah. all the team and all the staff Thank there you. as well. It's, it's great to yeah, hear yeah. what's happening. Yeah. So that's it for the Church Explained podcast. Awesome. want to thank you for joining us on uh, this episode. Don't forget you to rate, review, subscribe, and share this episode uh, wherever you're consuming this content. And don't forget, there are free resources for you and your church at icon.church forward slash open. But we look forward to seeing you next time on the Church Explained podcast. We'll see you soon.